Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. What's going on, y'all? It is I, Tamarcus Raglan, and today I am joined by my lovely co-host, Elizabeth, what's going on, Liz? Hey, hey. Good to see you. And we are excited uh, to have our guest here today, a, a, a dear, dear uh, friend of mine, uh, Dan Churchwell. Dan is the Director of Programs and Education at Acton Institute. He's also my former philosophy professor when I was uh, studying at Moody Bible. Uh, he writes, he's a speaker on topics of technology and ethics and future of work and many other things. And like I say, just a, a dear brother of mine. Dan, welcome to Culture Matters. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you both. Oh, man, it's a pleasure to have you. Real quick, before we get further into our conversation for today, uh, could you just give your quick elevator pitch for uh, the Acton Institute, for those who may be unfamiliar, just kind of uh, why it exists and, and what you guys do kind of as an entity? Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, great to be on. Thanks for having me. I, I currently serve as the director of programs and education at a think tank. And a lot of people don't know even what think tanks are, but a think tank um, is essentially an organization that usually predominantly nonprofit and they focus on a very narrow specific area. So whatever your thing is, there's probably a think tank for it. <laughs> environment, politics, economics, you know, there's thousands of think tanks in America. And uh, our think tank, our, our mission um, is to promote a free and virtuous society characterized by individual liberty and sustained by religious principles. So literally what we mean is how do we create a free and virtuous society? Mm -hmm. Because there can be societies that are super virtuous, but that are coercive or not very free. And then, of course, you can have wide open libertinism, in other words, wildly free cultures that aren't very virtuous. And so trying to think through how do we have some freedom, but uh, maintain virtue as well. And it, it, it's a really great conversation. It's historical. It's theological. Um, and so... One of our taglines is connecting good intentions to sound economics. Hmm. And particularly for religious people, a lot of people, um, they have really good intentions, but a lot of times when they're doing mission work, when they're thinking about work in their local community, um, all kinds of ways when they're thinking about their own income, um, they have a lot of good intentions, but a lot of people aren't really educated on, on economic principles or economic history. And so sometimes we can go astray. And so yeah. our uh, think tank was founded in 1990 and uh, by a Catholic priest, but we're an ecumenical organization. And so I'm a, I'm a Presbyterian myself. And uh, we have a really great ecumenical conversation. Um, what does it mean to engage religious principles within e our modern economic frameworks? Mm -hmm. And so we do that by uh, video. We have really great media team. We yeah. have uh, programs in education. My end, we do you know dozens and dozens of conferences a year or lectures, one day events. Um, and then we have a research department. We have a journal, a peer-reviewed journal called the Journal of Markets and Morality. And then we also have a really great publication called Religion and Liberty, 
in, in which you can subs- uh, subscribe to it quarterly and really fantastic. It's like a highbrow time magazine, mm. but it, it, it's for the everyman, but somebody that wants to learn more than just kind of your, your quick social media fix on certain topics. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so it, uh, we exist, we're 33 years old and we, we exist to serve those communities. And it's just been a blast to be a part of it. That's awesome. Yeah, I know as a as a acting fellow, it's been a joy to be a part of it. So I, I appreciate the work that y'all do. Well, let's let's jump into it. Right. Uh, today, we're here to talk specifically about something that you were particularly interested in, the the future of work. And in this season that we've been in, in Culture Matters, we've been dis- discussing and thinking through some of the residual effects of COVID, I say COVID-19, but like the, you know, the year of 2020 and all that it encapsulated, right? In so many right. ways, uh, it is, it's one of those markers, not just in American history, but probably in like world history of like, hey, like uh, this was a kind of a hinge point for a lot of things of time before, even in, I think in daily conversations, I hear people say stuff like, yeah, you know, before 2020 or like since 2020, like it's a significant marker. And so part of it is us looking and seeing, you know, how has some of the residual effects of that changed the world we're in uh, for the better, for the worse? How do we compare that with what was going on before to where we are now? Um, and particularly what we want to think about this in this episode is how that has affected the way we work. And so maybe could you start by Helping us see, right, because, you know, like I'm sure you study like a lot has has changed uh, because of it. And so how much of it is a result of kind of something that was already on the change that was already on the horizon or was like did COVID come in and it was kind of this, you know, one hit or quitter that, you know, changed everything on its own? How would you describe it? Sure. I, I think you're I mean, yes and yes. I, on, on one level, I think there were changes. Um we, we, we have recessions. If you Google history of recessions or history of, you know, economic upheaval, you'll see like every eight years or I mean, it, give or take that there are kinds of economic upheavals. But we, we lived through 2008 and nine, it's kind of seven, eight, nine, that three year spread. And that created a certain kind of economic uncertainty. And then you had this really strong economic rebound after the 0708 housing crash worldwide you know recession and then boom in 20 you know late 2019 to 2020 to early 21 almost a, a three year spread there you you have this fulcrum or pivot is what i like to call it, it where we pivoted that there were certain things on the horizon and the covid pandemic just forced us into a certain way of thinking or a certain way of working or a certain way of engaging with humans that we, we just hadn't had to deal with with the pandemic since 1920. So um, it was almost a hundred years coming, if you will. Wow. And so I, I think yes, it, there were changes already afoot. There were there were issues foundationally um, that then when we had the pandemic and you had these massive changes, um, there were some innovations there, you know, the idea of work from home and, those, you know, that were, we were able to, many people were able to pivot to working from home, but many people weren't. And so it created all kinds of tensions and conundrums, but um, it, it ultimately is, I don't think we realize how much we have lived through a major world historic moment. It will be studied People will be doing their PhD, you know, dissertations on this for decades to come. And, wow. and so we have lived 
through it. Um, and uh, it's still, you know, it's still around, obviously. But it, uh, I do think that that was a major fulcrum for culture, for society, and almost it, it touched every single level. And I think that's where the the upheaval was different this time. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about kind of this major moment, um, you talk about this three year period, this shift that we've had. Uh, you know, we had people working from home before then, but studies sure. show that the we've seen an increase in people working at home. So how would you say some of the things around this phenomenon, um, how is it different now than it was before the dynamics of working at home in our culture after this major historic shift that we've seen? Yeah, absolutely. And so work from home, I mean, I remember talking with friends, you know, a decade ago when I lived in Washington state um, and one of them had worked from home their entire career. And uh, she worked for a, a, a visa, a corporation associated with visa and had done processing, et cetera. And she had, she had never not worked from home. And for me, that was just kind of foreign, right? You know, yeah. I, I love talking with her. So fascinating. And uh, so there were people around that did this kind of thing. Um, but it was obviously not on the forefront of our minds. And so when, it moved, it pivoted, um, it allowed for a lot of innovation on the positive side. You, you see a lot, you know, Zoom came into its own and stock yeah. prices uh, <laughs> Zoomed as well. And uh, all of these, you know, different platforms, the companies were instigated to get some sort of um, communication, you know, and all of them were proprietary, trying to find a way to allow largely the white collar crowd to work from home and um at 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 peak it was 60 percent of that crowd was working from home Mm. during covid and so Mm. now coming off of that with the most recent forbes study they're they're saying by 2025 32.6 million americans will work remotely Mm. And, um, and that, that's just, you know, a year and a half away. Hmm. And, and we, um, in right now, the most up-to-date statistic, we have almost 13% of full-time employees work from home full-time. So hmm. full-time they're at home, thir- you know, 13% are there the whole time, but almost 30% work a hybrid model where they have a day or two, you know, they have to be in the office three days yeah. a week versus whatever, you know, so that's up to 30%. And some argue, but now when you read these different studies, it's, it's kind of fun when you get a few years down the line, you know, you have uh, specialists arguing with one another. But uh, one, one of the major arguments in the field of this kind of study is that there hasn't been really a comprehensive study because there are some people that argue that it's closer to 50 percent. Wow. It's just underreported and, and how, you know, how you get your statistics, how you report those, you know, and mm-hmm. so. Long story short, this is not going away. Now, there has been a rebound. There has been, a you know, some people um, arguing that, look, you know, this is really bad for society. And, you know, a lot of collab- collaboration happens. You know, you've probably heard this mm-hmm. around the water cooler or hallway conversations, you know, this, this, this anecdote. Um, and there's been studies that have talked a lot about that and have disproved and proved, you know, so there's, there's arguments on both sides. And so mm-hmm. I really want to be careful without being, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you can't really be a puppet. If somebody says it's, it's all going to go to online or, you know, hybrid or homework, or it's, you know, we have to come back or society will fall apart. I, I think those are false. It's a false dilemma. Mm-hmm. And so 
It's very, it's very nuanced though when you think about it. But what everybody agrees upon is multiples of Americans more are working from home or some hybrid situation. I'm glad you bring that up because uh, I, I kind of want to tease tease into some of that because maybe I tend to fall on the like it's all doom and I need to be brought back to center sometimes. But I guess when I when I've thought about like even at that phenomenon, like you say, we you know people work from home before. I even loved you brought up. You know, your friend working for V. In my mind, it's like what when I'm often feeling like, oh, this feels like a different kind of thing. It's like now you have young, you know, I'm thinking fresh out of college, you know, many not with, you know, don't have a family yet or of their own, uh, so to speak, and move to the city, but not to a like communal sense, but to like huddle in an apartment. And so it's like there's something about it that that feels strange in that way. So I'm curious just as you've as you've looked at those different narratives of like, no, this is gonna be fine, or like, no, it's all doomed. We gotta come back together. Like how are, are people how are people interacting with that? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's a whole nother on one level what, what you brought up earlier about people have always worked from home, like as in the homestead or, yeah. or this I mean that's a whole different podcast because there, <laughs> there's a lot to explore there because what we mean by work from home and what pre essentially 1900 so yeah. in the last 120 years pre 1900 working from home we're not when we say work from home and work from home they're not the same they're not the thing. same thing exactly yeah and then so we have to totally you know disabuse ourselves of that I mean working from home um, the subsistence, and I don't mean that negatively. A lot of people think subsistence as being poor, but I, I, I don't. Subsistence homemaking, where where the homestead was primarily how you you created a living, learned a life with your family, is there's much to learn and glean and think about what we've lost moving away from that. But we lost that in the early uh, 20th century, yeah. and so that it, so we have to be careful, you know, how how we uh, uh, make distinctions there, but. I think what you're on, even though we're preliminarily, we, we've been able to study this in over the last year, year and a half, right? I mean, it, we're we're very young in the studies of the effects of COVID, right? But I think what there is a lot of agreement on is primarily what you just described, and that is the youngest generation, the youngest mm-hmm. generation. Because I I am uh, 47, I've had a career, I've had multiple careers, I have a lot of networks to draw from, mm-hmm. I can text and call and engage, I have a family, I live with my, you know, my, my yeah. wife and four children, and so I have an established, rooted nature right now. Well, for somebody coming straight out of college that might maybe have moved a few, you know, um, moved to go to college and then moved to come to Plano where you're, you know, greater Dallas, and they're trying to figure it out but they're stuck in their apartment alone, they don't have that connective tissue to whether it's their own genetic, you know, their their family themselves or a church family or, and, and on one level, sadly, their work family. I mean, work, you know, does dominate a lot of our time. Yeah. So we do create friendship and the creation of friendships are good, but um, I think it's sometimes overemphasized because of the lack of institutional growth in other areas. Yeah. But that being said, if you're young, I mean, I would not want to be, I don't, I do not want to be, um, it, it's, it's sad to hear some of the stories of, of the, the people that have that existence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so companies are trying to figure out, you know, how do you create company culture when everybody is remote and yeah. there's different, but it, yeah, that is a, 
for that young professional, that young white collar worker trying to figure their way in the life, they need to get out of the house. Yeah. In, I just want to pause. And if you, if you, if you fall in that category and you're listening and you've felt that kind of disillusionment or like, man, some about this feels difficult or like, man, this feels like it's just a little harder. This is unique. Just hear that and have some, some validation that that is a, this is a unique time than what, you know, even our parents, mm -hmm. you know, like I say, grew up mm -hmm. in where, you know, having multiple careers and then shifting to mm -hmm. uh, working from home versus like, man, I'm trying to network and there's nowhere for me to make that connection because, you know, whatever the case may be. So, right. And, and that's why networking and that's why places like the church, mm. that's why places like institutions outside, you know, that's, um, I mean, our just last month, the Surgeon General of the United States established loneliness as an epidemic. Mm. And he's making loneliness kind of his, you know, because you have lonely elders, yeah. you have the elder population with less people to take care of them becoming more lonely. But then you have this younger generation, which are usually the young generation, you know, they have the energy, they have the yeah. verve, they're out and about, you know, clubbing and hanging out <laughs> and meeting friends and, and just creating a life there's a large percentage that are losing that. So hmm. I don't want to be, it's not insurmountable, but it is a challenge, especially a challenge, for people like yeah. you and I and, and, and Elizabeth, we, we probably have, you know, we're mentoring young people or, or we're, whether they're on our teams or if you want to use religious or, you know, Christian language, discipleship, are there people around us that we're speaking into? Um, it's not insurmountable again, but it is a very real challenge. And I think we, we, we need to be very, um, you know me, uh, Marcus. That I I like to face on the challenges head on. Yeah. Like I, I don't like people who try to are overly optimistic or gloss. I don't want to be pessimistic, yeah. but we have to look at the challenges very realistically and say. And then so for young people working in the world today, um, this is very real to them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because it, it's the because I do I, when I talk to a lot of people uh even those you know cuz I am in my late 30s and have had careers but the lack of connectivity because of remote work I mean I felt that um and so as people are we're also I think a millennial and below generation is also transient so we're constantly looking for new opportunities and new work what advice or wisdom would you have for someone to say how do you take this into this dynamic into consideration as you are looking for new work opportunities what are some good things to look for in a working environment that may not lead you towards this path of lack of over lack of connectivity or loneliness yeah well one of them is i mean it a lot of these are that that's why this is so important to have a mentor or some discipleship engagement mm -hmm. um, because they're so fact dependent. Mm -hmm. This is this, this, this is tough because each situation is going to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Because if you talk with you, I could make vague generalizations, right? The breakdown of the family causes, you know, we don't have as, as close connections to our family members. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't have siblings or they have mm -hmm. one or two, you know, yeah. and, and so they, the family connection is broken. Work might simply just be a paycheck. And if they're remote, it's really hard to have any kind of connection on Slack mm -hmm. or on, you know, yeah. the different kinds of programs that are trying to, you know, help us get to know our coworkers. And so, and then if you have less and less people going to church 
or these other institutions that were around. I mean, sports clubs. Just just think about, you know, are, do you like soccer? Mm-hmm. You, you, the, the pickleball craze, yeah. you know, that's all around. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the same in Dallas, but it, almost pickleball seemed to explode, you know. And, everything's uh, bigger in Texas. <laughs> yeah, everything's bigger in Texas. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so do, are you involved? Like, can you meet other people? Mm-hmm. Because dating is now on social media. Work is now on a screen. And a lot of people from church can say, well, I can get the best pastor piped in on my, mm-hmm. on my screen. So why would I go to a physical church? And so it's, a, it's easy. The path is easy. Mm-hmm. But then the long-term damage that comes from not engaging with other humans, I, I think, is where we really need to focus a lot of our energy and thought. Mm. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I think the path of ease yes. is attractive to people because they're like, oh, it's just easy. And we will equate easy with this is the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, it takes longer for the effects of these easy pathways to show up. And sometimes I think you that you see them in moments where life happens and all of a sudden you don't have the people or the community or the network there to support you, but that network and community doesn't show up overnight. Um, and yeah. so I think it is this not necessarily going for what is easy, but the higher ideal, which is, man, as humans, we were created to be in relationship and I really need to pursue that. But having appropriate expectations also that I might not get that from everywhere, right? Like I might not get that from my work. I might not get that from church in a huge way, but there are opportunities for me to have it in smaller places and to concentrate our energy to say, I need this to be present in my life. It might not be everywhere but it needs to be somewhere and even if it's hard it's a path i need to pursue because it's the lack of it is going to show up in my life at some point at some point that's what i'll say absolutely and i I think this i kind of hate buzzwords i try to stick away from them but the idea of like grit and resilience yeah you know i mean there's there's an element of true you know Austin, all these consultants are now talking about this but that that's true i mean life is hard yeah and, and, and I think if we look for ease in all of our, you know, economists call it frictionless. The, the less friction you have in mm-hmm. a transaction, the better, you know, the more transactions you'll have. And on a raw economic sense, okay, that's fine. But you don't want friction. I mean, <laughs> you're human. I'm human. If we understand sin, we're going to have friction. Yeah. And, and if we try to eliminate all the friction in our lives, we'll eliminate what it means to be human. Mm. And, and that, that I think, to me, is, is ultimately um, damaging. Roy, Roy Amara is a fu- was a futurist. He passed away. Uh, he's dead now. But his little dictum called Amara's Law, A-M-A-R-A, Roy Amara. And he uh, this little sentence uh, haunts me. We tend to vastly overestimate the effects of a technology in the short term, but vastly underestimate its effects in the long term. Mm. Mm. And so if you think a lot about hype, technological hype, I know we're here to talk about that and not just relationships, you know, and so that that, uh, with any technology, we're overestimating. We're overestimating the hype, what this does, what this brings. And unfortunately, sometimes Christians and, and evangelicals in particular are really early adopters of technology. You go mm. back to radio, you go back to the cassette ministry of, you know, mm. you go back and a lot of they, they're like, 
they we're early adopters actually we're not late adopters technology is used but it's not always used to the best effect um and and the effects of it come after uh, another quote i wanted to engage you know in into this conversation a little bit is an italian philosopher named paul virilio and he argues um when you invent the ship you invent the shipwreck hmm. when you invent the plane you invent the plane crash when you invent electricity you invent electrocution every technology carries its own negativity within which is invented at the same time as the technological progress. And so we forget, we for, you know, and, and, and so what I, what I am, one of my goals in life is to kind of be a, a lack of a better term, a myth buster. Mm. I am not anti-technology in any respect, but I think it, we need to be sober mm. and we need to be, you know, really thinking about the technology when we trumpet it or when we get hyper-pessimistic. Um, my son is is uh, almost seventeen, and for the he's never seen Terminator. So he and I sat down and we did Terminator One and Terminator Two this last week, and and just watched them back to back because that's a very techno dystopian or determinist techno determinist yeah. kind way of thinking, right? That technology will take over the world and we're all going to die. You know, is, is essentially <laughs> the theme. <laughs> so. So, you know, that there are ways of thinking somewhere in between raw techno-utopianism. In other words, that progress and technology will solve all of our problems. And between techno-determinist or pessimism that essentially, you know, AI will rise up and, you know, kill us. Mm. Man, that's... I wanna I wanna zoom out because you you said a lot there and I wanna give us a chance to maybe chew on it and have some biblical categories of like, okay, how do we, I love that you say like having a sober mind, right? I think, you know, Bible tells us to to be sober minded because the days are evil. Like everything is not as clear cut as we may think it is at the immediate glance. And so uh, maybe as we, as we think about that, we're cautioned. We know, okay, we need to, uh, we need to not be so quick to move for a frictionless life that could, eliminate and, and, and damage, uh, relationships. Um, but we also don't have to be afraid of, you know, all of the change that is coming about. And so maybe in a way to measure if I'm an individual and I'm looking for work and I'm thinking about like, all right, well, there's this job and it like has the option of like, I can go in, I can stay home, you know, for me, how, how can I be thinking about, what would be a good uh, a good way to choose? And because, like you say, every situation will be different. Um, and so, yeah, the root of the question is like how how do we define maybe even the purpose of work? How how can we be thinking about work with a biblical viewpoint? And then, how is that meant to shape us and those around us? And how that could kind of help us gauge how we need to navigate um, in the midst of all of that? Does that make sense? Yeah. And again, that's a super, you know, huge topic. And, yeah. and so, I mean, you can go back to Genesis one, two, and three, you know, um, mm-hmm. creation, fall, redemption. You know, I mean, we, we could do that. We could talk about Tubal Cain, the, you know, um, in Genesis being you know, the creator of uh, tools mm-hmm. and working mm-hmm. with tools. We could talk about why God wanted his 
tabernacled to be a place of beauty and the craftsmen and the work that it took to build the tabernacle and his really rigorous, you know, I mean, there's, there's many mm. ways to approach this. Yeah. Um, and, and so theologically, I, mean, you know, I, I don't want to get myself in trouble here, but there, there, there is, um, if you were to Google faith and work books, or go to Amazon and do vocation or faith work books, you'll go blind with all of the options. <laughs> Over the last 20 years, 20 to 25 years, there is a cottage industry that's now a ballooning industry based on, you know, different kinds of funding. And I mean, there's a thousand, 3,000 options. That's not hyperbole of books and studies. And you can go on all kinds of platforms. And, you know, so this... It's so funny to me that we've invested all of this money and all of these conferences and all of these conversations, and we're still asking the most basic question. Hmm. What, what does it mean to work? What does it mean to flourish in this life? Hmm. And I, I think um, this is my opinion. And so I, you know, on Twitter, you know, everybody puts handles, you know, like yeah. retweet doesn't equal, you know, <laughs> I agree with it. Uh, and, and so I, I'm speaking from my study, my engagement, um, largely a lot of the conversation around faith and work and vocation is, is harmful mm-hmm. because it reinforce, maybe not harmful, maybe that's too strong, but it, it, it's just reinforcing one-on-one understanding. Like it, it all says the same thing mm-hmm. and it, 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 it's, there's nothing new. There's nothing iterative. There's nothing and, and, and so these, these guys, they get an understanding, they get a grant, they write a book, they do a conference, and there's all this faith in work. What it really, I think this is where this, this is where it's really sad to me is exactly what we're talking about earlier is that do we have enough people in our lives, friends, family, people that know me enough to, to be a sounding board to say, what should I be doing? Hmm. What is my, you know, we're, we're reliant on personality tests, you know, the Enneagram and mm-hmm. um, the Berkman assessment and all these others. And there are some, okay, there, there's a marginal value to those, which I think, I think is okay. It's fine. But we're over-reliant on myself, self-assessment, self, who am I? Hmm. And I think if, if the only mirror you have for your thoughts is you, the opportunities for self-deception are exponential. And so it, it's not that you can't know yourself. It's important to know, you know, am I an introvert? Am I an extrovert? What, you know, what are you, you can know, you know, am I more engine? Do I like engineering? Do I like liberal? Do I like, you know, there are ways of you have to know yourself to a certain degree, but if you eliminate all other data points of people who could speak into your life, who know you, who could offer guidance. Um, I think that's an, ultimately culturally damaging way of living. Mm. And so um, there are a lot of books you can read, pick one or two um, to Marcus, you know, I, you know, I used to teach a freshman seminar course where I used Os Guinness's book, the call. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a great, you know, it's a classic now. I think, I think you can buy the 25th anniversary edition or something like that. You know, it's been around a while. Yeah. It provides some basics. There, there's a lot of others out there knowing God's will and, you know, these kinds of books. 
But I think, you know, if you have one or two of those in your back pocket, you get the basics, that's fine. You don't need to invest in a thousand other books on this topic. Mm. Um, Especially now that work and calling, um, work in the modern era, what we call work has been so, um, it's, it's plagued with, uh, the lack of clarity. And, and I think when we talk about work, that there's not a real, uh, there's not a lot of skepticism about what we mean, how we encourage one another. What is good work? What is work that values the human? There's, um, an article that became a book by David Graeber called on BS jobs. And it, it was an expose of a lot of work is busy. And this is white collar. He is looking at white collar. He's looking at lawyers, consultants, all kinds of white collar work. And he's showing that a lot of the work that we do is really not humane. It doesn't promote human. It is there just to persist in a certain kind of, to give other white collar people something to do, but it doesn't actually add value to society. And so I think we don't have a lot of good provocative conversations about what is good work, not just what is work, but what is good work? What is flourishing? What what does mm-hmm. what work leads to the flourishing of the human society, providing goods and services so others may flourish? Hmm. Is a very difficult and a different question than simply what is work. Hmm. And so, but again, that's heavy lift because that means you have to be in conversation. That means you want to be known by somebody. You have to be a little transparent Mm -hmm. Hmm. with somebody else. You have to open yourself up to a certain kind of criticism Mm -hmm. or engagement that is uncomfortable for many people. Yeah. And, and so I, I don't know if that's. It's back to the um, friction that you were talking about earlier that it. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the language we use around work is, um, I think we can use a lot of Christianese that hides a lot of societal and social issues that I think we do need to think about when we're talking about work. And so if a Christian, if a pastor or a small group goes through this and doesn't grapple with, they're, they're missing the point. Hmm. I think the moment we're in is pressing the church to help people engage their faith in a way that helps them think critically about the world we live in. And so I think even which the comments you're making about the difficulties we have with understanding what good work looks like and what flourishing looks like, I think it's because we have difficulties in understanding and thinking critically about the the society we live in and what it takes to um, create a society in which everyone flourishes, but that conversation being in the church. And so I'll have conversations with people who say, man, I will hear a sermon preached on Sunday about I need to show up in my community, but I don't know how that looks like on the job I work in corporate America, right? So I think there is also a call for ministry leaders to expand their area of expertise or the conversations they are having because we are an expert in a lot of things, but we're not an expert on what it looks to have flourishing in um, the legal arena or medicine or education or government. Those are those professionals. And so how do I invite those voices in so we can have an expanded conversation in the church? I think there 
a lot of the faith and work conversations for me and and y'all can speak happen outside of the church. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if we're casting that vision and helping people think critically as well as we need to inside the church. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and this conversation is anthropological. It's ecclesial. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, who are we as human persons? Yeah. How does that, what it means to be a human person involved in a church body? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are layers to this that um, I, mean, I think you're 100% right. There are so many parachurch organizations that try to deal with, you know, there's the Christian Legal Society, mm-hmm. there's the Christian Society of Doctors and Dentists, or it's something along those lines. You know, there's engineering groups for Christians. That There are so many parachurch organizations that you can become a part of. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure in Dallas, greater Dallas, right, there, there, are, there are these groups. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you know, that it, this. Um, but that, and, and parachurch is fine. You know, vocational groups are, are totally great. I, I think you should have the ability to talk and engage with others who do your work, um, similar work. But what, yeah, I, I think if we boil it back down to the, what is the church doing pastorally? And, and, and I don't want to overburden a pastor. A pastor shouldn't know everything about heart surgery or, or how to, you know, encourage the doctors. But they, they should know some core ways of helping them think through the complexities mm-hmm. of work in, in the 21st century. I, I think it's, um, many people are arguing that technology, the modern technological innovation is becoming the new religion, mm-hmm. like the, the, the major religion of the world. And I could, I won't bore you with all the books, but there's really good work, interesting work. I think it's, it's sad and it's telling, but really interesting work on modern technology overtaking any kind of, it, it's the new religion. It's, it's the God. Technology proper is the God we worship. And so it provides all the answers. It provides, it can make us, you know, it can lead to utopia. It can lead, it has a lot of the religious language and there are many people doing interesting work in this. And I, and I think it's, it's largely true that it, techn- you know, so do you have to compete? How, how does a church compete with that? And I mean that tongue in cheek mm-hmm. um, because I'm a dedicated, you know, I, I, I do believe that Jesus died for my sins and was buried. You know, I, I yeah. the creeds, if you want to think through those ideas, um, how, how do we engage a culture who we think, who, who we are understanding that society is telling them technology yeah. will is your God mm-hmm. yeah. can be your God mm-hmm. and should be your God. Mm-hmm. That that's a that that's a cultural uh, tension. Yeah, I, I think so often the number of times in conversation, rather it be with students, rather it be with young adults or folks in our ministries, where it's like questions come up or or, or just any anything in life arises, and it's like the first place turned is the device, the screen. It's like you. Mm-hmm. Rather it's, you know, questions about work, rather it's um, in seeking relationship, rather it's answers about, you know, the life's big questions, whatever. And it's like whatever the screen, you know, produces and pushes out, not only is it like, is it sought after, but oftentimes it's it's immediately accepted as like, yeah, it was, I searched it and I found it and that's, it must be, it must be mm-hmm. on to something. And so there's, there there is a, there is a tension there and as discouraging as that is, as you were as you were talking, there was, I mean, you mentioned the creeds. Something that is incredibly in the church's favor is while so much of what's going on, like you say, we, you know, we're a year and a half, 
two years of researching on a lot of this stuff, it's like, man, the church has a track record of thousands of years of, of engagement, you know what I'm saying? Uh, in culture and in, in depths of research of the human person and how we engage with one. All, all those big questions that you brought up, um, the, the church has been asking and providing answers to those questions from the scriptures mm -hmm. for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And so there is a, there's, there's, there's good standing um, um, and good, uh, good weight to lean on. The question is, are we, are we choosing to utilize that? Or how are we, how are we giving the time and the thought and the effort? I love that, that, that idea of friction. Like, are we, uh, you know, if we want to use that in Jesus tells us that like you will have friction in this life, like the, mm -hmm. the kind of meaningful life and following him uh, elicits friction. And it's like, yep. are we are we willing to press forward into that um, despite the friction or will we, you know, receive the story that, you know, our culture gives us that like, no, you can you can live a perfectly full life free of all friction and, and no problem and no pain mm -hmm. and no trouble. And um and and here we can offer it to you, uh, and so I, I I think the uh, just just as we listen and we and we begin to wrap up, like having that that assurance of like these are important questions for us to ask, and know that uh, that our that our scriptures and the Spirit is is more than equipped to give us answers and, and direction in those things um, in the community that God has blessed us with, right? To to tap into those around us uh which is why like you, you you were mentioning before like local church membership is so important it's like you can you maybe can listen to a sermon online but like to be in community with people who can help you answer some of these questions so you're not just navel gazing and, and looking at self to figure out what you should do but being able to ask people who care about you who love you who love jesus who know his word uh, who are also filled with his spirit to be able to point you in a direction according to uh, wisdom from a, a multitude of voices and not just your own. Um, all all of these things kind of start to drive us back to right our Christian fundamentals. Yep. It's like live in community, yep. abide with Jesus, read your Bible, yep. read your Bible, <laughs> pray. Right, uh, 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 seek seek wisdom as you uh, engage in these conversations with. With the added help of the resources, the books, the things, right? To to your point, that there's a there's a space for that. But it's like if that is, if you're looking for your all in all on Amazon's bestseller, to 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 give you the answer to all of the the complexities of the the conversation, you might want to to pause and and take a step back. Well, that's why the church helps us shape, you know, how we understand the nature and destiny of the human person, mm -hmm. our souls shapes everything else. Yes. And that the, like you said, Christianity provides millennia of engagement with that question. Mm -hmm. And so to be a pastor now, to be engaged in the work of the church, to be a um, disciple of Christ now, it, I am not pessimistic. Mm -hmm. I am not, I don't think we, this is a, like the toughest time, you know, yeah. unprecedented mm -hmm. times. Well, maybe in our lifetime, or, or maybe you know, maybe in the last generation or two, it's, it's but it's not unprecedented in the life of the church. Come on, and in the different movements of theological engagement, you know, over I, and so that's I'm ultimately hopeful because sometimes people hear me and they're like, "Oh, are you kind of a techno pessimist?" And mm -hmm. I'm like, "No, not really." Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, because technology 
it, we didn't even get into a basic definition of technology, but you know, concrete is a technology, right? Electricity, <laughs> right? You're you're probably happy. I've heard Dallas has been in a heat wave, right? And you know, you're glad for you know air conditioning. But that Virilio quote, the idea that there's always a downside to technology, yeah. it's not ever fully perfect or fully good. And the the church can provide ways. I, I think the lack of religious professionals engaging real questions or questions that are hard, questions that demand a little bit of theological nuance or that aren't easy pablum, you know, almost mm-hmm. like um, uh, a daily quote, you know, that, that like keeps the devil away or, you know, something like that. It, it, if you're involved, I, I, people do not realize the blessing of being involved in a church that values the word, that values the theological traditions, and that values community. That there is a richness there that can combat a lot of what we've talked about for the past few mm. minutes. Yeah, then that that was that's well said. Uh, and again, yeah, just falling back on those those fundamentals. This has been I know this has been an enriching conversation for me. It's been very. Uh, thought provoking um as well uh before we before we wrap up could you maybe just give um uh our our listeners a quick way how can they continue to connect with your um your work with acton and maybe even your own personal work that you do sure well acton.org acton.org is a place to find a lot of our work um my work uh you can follow, follow me on twitter i don't i'm not a I don't tweet a thousand times a day, but I, I repost primarily a lot of just fascinating things in this world of, of religion and technology and just technology, broadly speaking. And then I do speak. I do. I do come and do uh, invitations. You know, I, I speak all over the country on, on these topics. So if people are interested to reach out to me at D Churchwell at Acton.org, D Churchwell at Acton.org. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, well, man, thank you guys for listening. And again, just to um, bring us uh, bring us to a close. Uh, this is if you are feeling the pressures of this uh, again, this this unprecedented time in in the last decade or so of our lives, uh, that there is there is a real <laughs> real cause to all of that. Um, and there are really good questions to be asking regards to how we um, engage in with one another. Um, post right the the covid crisis how do we um engage with work what is what is work for why has god given it to us how can i best engage it in a way um that's maybe more than just thinking about the monetary number attached to it but how is it helping me see more of jesus and shaping me to be more like him how is it helping me to uh care for my neighbor how is it uh helping me to promote human flourishing um and ultimately uh, how can I uh, kind of gird myself with the kind of trellis that 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 puts me in a direction and in a place to do all of those things? And again, it goes back to those basics of being involved in a local church, studying our scriptures, having wise counsel from pastors and friends and uh, those are elder who can uh, speak into our lives and, and help us go in the direction that God would have us to go. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This episode is produced by Chelsea Conway with editing and support from the Good Podcast Company. If you're a regular follower of the podcast, we would love to hear from you. 
drop a review or a message to us on Instagram. You can also check out the show notes for more information on how you can best connect with us and our guest. See you next time.